Bless you. So, uh, yes, so far, so good. What you're telling me now so far is um, the right thing to do that you're actually noting and you're, in, you're noting wholesome and you're beginning to distinguish between what is wholesome and what is not wholesome. For instance, initial thought may not be wholesome, but then the reaction to it that we have is unwholesome. Right, right. Yes, totally. And one thing that's interesting is um, prior to the, the to diving deeper into the sitting practice through our conversations, you know, um, what will happen often is after a conversation, I'll think about it the next day. And I find it impacts me in ways such as, you know, for example, I, I found myself reading less news. And, and not is it not only am I reading less, but I don't even want to read it. You know, it's like, why waste my time with this? You know, or podcasts. I used to love to listen to podcasts all the time. Now they're all just kind of boring to me. It's mm-hmm. like, what's the use in this? You know, <laughs> and it's and it's exactly right. But you see the whole industry of news and um, much of the oh. Along with that, the whole movie industry and the entertainment industry, the talk radio industry, um, even the documentary industry, they are all serving uh, the needs of people who are looking for love in all the wrong places. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that people... Uh, the news is, in in fact, uh, they know this. This is very, very well known in journalism. They even have a motto: "If it bleeds, it leads." Yep. Right. What does that mean? That means that the newspaper industry has to sell their news. Yeah, I'm very the, aware. Yep. And because they're selling it, they actually have to do sales techniques, which means they have to make things big and bloody. Sensationalized, yep. And sensationalize everything. Well, what that sensationalization does is that it promotes fear, anxiety, and uncertainty. And in that fear, anxiety, and uncertainty is... uh, builds up the need to be uh, to have relief and that they think that more information is going to give them the relief that they seek because they've yes. been trained to do that to, to think that right there in fact more information doesn't necessarily solve the issue or the problem of how people feel Yes. You, you are beginning to recognize at a at a very deep, let us say, uh, appropriate level that much of the media is in fact just time structuring for people to structure their yep. time and to uh, uh, to get their attention, and people actually like that because. Uh, if I can worry about how bad Donald Trump is, I don't have to worry about how bad my life is. <laughs> yep, totally. 
And this is basically what uh, what all of that entertainment stuff is for. That doesn't mean that it's all bad or all useless. But what it means is is that as your uh, let us say uh, mental brightness increases, you recognize that your mental brightness is way above theirs. Where most of it is is that the mental brightness of people who are watching that stuff are trying to lift their brightness through this stuff, and you're already seeing that you're above that already. Mm. And so it it, um, it doesn't quite have the value to it that it used to have. In other words, it used yeah. to give you the delusion that it was going to solve a problem for you. Now you recognize you've got no problems. You don't need to take that pill. Right, right. There is so that's yeah. part of the process. Uh, so in that regard, congratulations! You're beginning to make some, um, let us say, some observations. And these observations lead to insights. Thank you. That, that, that big media has its own problems. And yet, most people go to big media to solve their problems, and you're recognizing big media not going to solve any of your problems. They'll just make more. <laughs> so, I, I have a few comments on that. <laughs> so, one is that it's interesting because I've been aware of this for a long time. You know, I, I've read, there's a journalist I like, Matt Taibbi who has written a great book called Hate, Inc. And it's about how the news media profits off of hate. And I started reading his essays a few years ago. You know, so I've been aware of this for a long, and I've read some Noam Chomsky as well, you know, Manufacturing Consent, all of this, you know. Um, but, and I even had a ceremony in October where I saw the news media as a demonic entity and I had a strong feeling that it was like a demonic entity that was profiting like a demon that was sucking up that was creating all this negative energy and then sucking up that negative energy to become bigger stronger more powerful this and that it's that's exactly what it is you know it's like a it's like the psychological equivalent of the tobacco companies you know and the oil industry. And in uh, the automobile industry, not so much now, but back in the 1930s and 40s, you know, that General Motors actually bought up. Um, first starting in L.A. and was so successful, he did it in other cities. And that was that they bought the tram line. They bought the, yes. uh, uh, the trolley car systems. Even Charlotte, North Carolina had trolley cars. He yes. bought those up and put them out of business. Yes. Well, so it's funny because so a couple of comments. So one is um, what first really opened my eyes to this with the media is I saw how they would take one, you know, stupid tweet that Donald Trump would send or one comment he made and they would blow it up to be like, it's the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a fan of Donald Trump. I think he's a bad person. But the way that they would react to him was so out of proportion 
that I said these people seem like they're just trying to terrorize everyone. They're trying to use him to terrorize the public. And this is back in 2016, 2017 that I started to notice this. And that's when I started kind of turning against the media. However, however, and this brings us to the present day, what I still was unable to stop myself from reading it, listening to it. I don't watch too much, but a little bit. I don't have a TV, you know, but I still would watch YouTube or whatever, you know. Um, and I still would do it because the act of being upset about the media was also something that I would get addicted to and wanting to see what happened today, you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I would go through periods where I would have like a sabbatical or something, but it was like quitting cigarettes, you know, where I would just keep coming back, coming back. But what's different about this time, you know, with my sitting practice, how it feels is I feel like I'm just not even interested. You know, it's a, it's not like I have to use my willpower to not do it, which is what I would do before when I try to take a break for, it's like, I'm just not even interested you know, like I'm still kind of interested, but lesser so, you know, the interest has gone from here to like here, you know, it, it's like a little bit of interest, but it, it's kind of like, what's I the use of this? You about that long, long ago. If this is actually what you're doing is, is that you're giving your own personalized version of the teaching of gratification, danger and escape. That in the beginning, all we can do is we can see the gratification when people are watching the news. And so in the beginning, then, a little bit of danger doesn't outweigh the gratification, especially if the gratification also is time structure. Yes. So if you, if you stop watching the news, then what are you going to do with your time? And besides, the news is actually interesting in a way. What's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And that gets up our, our curiosity as well as the doubt. For most people, it's not curiosity. It's, it's actually doubt in the sense of, oh, no, what's going to happen next? Right. Which is exactly the whole uh, Trump administration was keeping everybody on edge. Uh, he must have learned uh, the art of the cliffhanger. Because it looked like that the Trump administration was going from one cliffhanger to another cliffhanger to yep, another. Yep, 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 yep. You know what a cliffhanger is? Uh, the, uh, back in, in the day when people would go to the movies every week, they would have um, either a prelude or a trailer that was like less than 30 minutes, not, not the main feature. And... Uh, um, they had the Crimson Ghost and um, a few cowboy movies. I think that, in fact, The Perils of Pauline, the very famous one, was also just this. It would be about a 10-minute thing, and the first part of it was getting rescued from the adventure that she left in Cliffhanger in the last one. And then the rest of this is setting up the Cliffhanger for this edition. Right. right. It's like a soap and, opera. And so, yeah. right. 
But one so that's what soap operas are all about. It's just one cliffhanger after another, except in the perils of Pauline, it was an actual railroad track, an actual tree falling on her, an actual uh, cliff she was going off, an actual horse that was falling over, that kind of stuff. So we're in the sitcoms. They don't have that kind of money. And so they do it all verbally. Well, that's what the Trump administration was. It was a verbal one cliffhanger after another after another. Yep, yep. And, and, the, and the media benefited from that greatness, that there were huge ratings going on. And now that Biden is in office, the, uh, the ratings for Fox have just fallen to the floor. And CNN, it's gone down like 45%, I think I read, you know, which is crazy. You know, it's probably gone down more for CNN than it has for Fox. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but the, but the point is, is that then the media thinks that all oh, we can get the people interested again if we only give them enough new cliffhangers. Yep, yep, yep. And meanwhile, you have two different groups. You have the right wing news, and then you have what is normal mainstream news that the right wing news causes uh, libs or liberals, and they cooperate with each other as much as compete with each other. Yes. They cooperate in the way that um, this side tells a story that this side reacts to, and then they give their version of this side reacts to that. And so they create a dialogue, and every time that they talk, they're making money off of it. They get the ratings up. They they cause a conflict, and, and there's really no problems there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very true. It's very true. And... Um... You know, it's also interesting what gets ratings versus what doesn't, you know, um, and what is sticky versus what isn't. And what's funny is like Trump with a tweet or a saying something he said, like he said one time, you know, he didn't want immigrants from shithole countries, you know, which is a, you know, very mean thing to say, whatever, but it would it would be a firestorm. Everyone's talking about it. You can feel the intensity in the air, you know. Now, by, but, but like at the end of the day, this doesn't affect anyone's life that he said this. You know, maybe it, it's a little unpleasant for people from certain countries, you know. But Biden, you know, is passing $6 trillion in spending and no one's reading about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like no one's talking about yeah. it. It's just going on in the background, you know, it's just happening, you know, <laughs> and it's much bigger news, you know, but so it's not sensational. You it, know. Like that. Yeah. In that regard, the art of politics is actually the art of prestidigitation. The art of what is it? Prestidigitation. Stage magic. Oh, sure. Stage magic. Here, let me give you a great big show while you're watching that show. I'm going to do this over here. Sure. And then you're going to be really surprised that this over here happened because nobody was looking at that. Oh, my goodness. Look what happened over there while we were doing all of this. <laughs> right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I think that's why Trump was able to win is because exactly. that was what he knew as a reality TV guy, you know, better than any of the other, mm-hmm. the, art the other of people. 
Yep, yep, for sure. But anyway, back to oh, – oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Well, the, the point then that would be is, is that uh, the, the, then the practical benefit of the practice of the Dhamma is that we begin to make that discernment about which is the distraction and which is really going on here. We begin to make that kind of investigation. And when we do, we can see right through it, and then we recognize, oh, that's entertainment for the masses. And we are not either the entertained or the entertainment. Yes, and there was something else you said earlier that I really wanted to touch on, and I almost forgot to touch on it, so I better do it now. But there was a comment that you made, and I've actually been thinking about this myself, today, yesterday, the previous day, um, which is that um, that there's an addiction to acquiring knowledge, you know, mm-hmm. and that is an addiction that I have definitely suffered from, you know, <laughs> and, um, and it's funny because one time I have a friend who's a spiritual guy in the plant medicine world, and, and he told me about this book he was reading. And I asked him, what was the book? It sounded like an interesting book. And he said, I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to feed the demon. Because <laughs> <laughs> he knows I just go through book after book after book, you know. And um, and his advice to me has been to live more in the moment, you know, which is similar to your advice, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, and for me, I certainly have had this addiction to information and news is like the, you know, let's say you're addicted to food, right? Right. This is a dessert. This is junk food. (laughs) Yeah. This is the junk food. Yeah. News is like the junk food. You know, philosophy (laughs) is like the filet mignon, you know, you know, but the, but nonetheless, if you eat too much of that, you'll get sick, whatever it is, you know, whether it's filet mignon or junk food, you know, and the the news though it comes in it's on mass it's easy it's empty calories it's easy stuff so i would digest it you know and then there'd be kind of higher quality stuff you know like like um you know i was listening to this podcast earlier you know in, in the evening you know with these four tech billionaires talking about the markets and and technology and all of these things and it's very educational you know because it's kind of a, it's an interesting perspective that they have given their position but nonetheless you know like you know this doesn't lead me anywhere you know like this doesn't <laughs> you know i was thinking as i was listening to it and i used to really enjoy listening to them talk but i was thinking like i'd rather listen to music and Take some breaths, mm-hmm. you know. I, I, I'd that's rather exactly do that. Right. You're beginning to see in the realm yeah. of what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. And um, when uh, stock market experts argue with each other in uh, in the in the news, that um, the whole point about it being interested is is that people in the audience will take sides. 
but not completely so that everyone is left with a confusion. And also the confusion and greed because there's already the greed because this is a Wall Street kind of money financial program anyway. So there's the greed already. And so the greed and the confusion and now people go into really bad feelings because they, uh, they don't know <clears throat> if the investment they made or the wrong investments or the investments that uh, uh, that they haven't made will go up and they didn't make the investment is all about um, greed. And hey, so hey. the whole point of people watching that is, is that it increases their greed. Sure. I I think that's definitely one part of it. I think another part is that they have an interesting perspective on what's going on. It's a more sophisticated perspective than you mm-hmm. normally find. Um, and so it's it can feel useful. You know, it's like you're going from the junk food to, to you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, a step above that. Maybe not the good stuff quite yet, but if, a step above, it is, you know. Okay. Here's the way then to look at it. If what you're doing is looking at it to see what is happening now, then that would be wholesome. But if you take that information only because you want to know what's happening now so you know what to do about it, then that would be unwholesome. Hmm. Okay. What am I going to do about it now that I know that the stock market is doing this regulation or something like that or is going up and oil is going down. What do I do about it? What do I do about it? Okay, so now we're bringing in uncertainty, doubt, confusion, uh, desire. <clears throat> but if you're listening to those programs, with, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. And that's basically the way to do it with the news in any case, is just to listen to what it is that's going on without having to buy into the underlying um message of, gosh, ain't that awful, or here's an opportunity for you folks, that in fact, much of the documentaries and things like that is actually selling something. Right. It's especially interesting when people who claim that they have made so much money at something, and here's the way I do it, and I'm writing a book, I want you to buy my book so you'll know how I made money. Right. Yeah, <laughs> because if he's made right. money, he doesn't need to write a book. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, people are writing the book yeah. are hungry. Right. You know, it's funny. This is why I like the Wall Street Journal, uh, because it, it's the most bland paper of all the papers. <laughs> you know, it just says this happened and then this happened and then this. You know, it's it, there's no color to it. Except mm-hmm. in the editorial section, but you take that out, there's no color, you know. And the reason it's like that is because the people that read it are reading it to make investment decisions, so they want the facts, you know. They just care about the facts, and they don't have too long a time to read. So the articles will be kind of long, but they won't go on and on, you know, in journalistic flourishes and whatnot. So they tend You'll to be. Them. 
making the point that needs to be reiterated. Those people who are reading them, the Wall Street Journal, are reading what he makes business decisions. And most people read news and take in news so that they can make an emotional decision about how do I feel about what's happening now. Right. Okay, so they're actually making the business decision. And that it uh, actually has to do with cost-benefit analysis, which is exactly that major teaching of the Buddha, the cost-benefit analysis, that normally we only see the benefit. And because we want that benefit, we'll, do, we'll pay any price. We'll do any cost to get it. And some businesses do that, and they fail. You know, some businesses, they buy, try to buy the competition so that they can have a monopoly, and that didn't work for them. Right. It's not always so, so clear. Because they bit off more than they could do, or whatever uh, analogy that you want to know, but if you are doing a correct cost-benefit analysis, <clears throat> then that should be the guide in business. That's what makes big business big business. That's what makes business work is because they're doing a cost-benefit analysis with everything. But that very executive who knows how to do cost-benefit analysis when he is at work, when he goes home, he throws that out the window completely. <laughs> and then he goes only yep. for benefit, only for benefit, and he's not seeing the cost. Right. So right. Once, once we start looking at what's really going on, we can begin to see both the cost uh, and the benefit, like, for instance, watching media. And you're beginning to see, hey, wait a minute, there's a cost in this. Right. The cost is, is that they they get me upset, they get me uptight, they get me angry at Donald Trump, or they get me angry at Donald Trump's enemies, or whatever. But that's the right. whole point, is that there's a cost in there, and that's the danger. And once we see that the cost-benefit analysis goes in the direction of the danger, and is going against the cost, that's when we can find an escape from it. You say, sorry, I'm not going to sign that contract. So this is basically what this all investigation is in, but the investigation cannot be done in the ordinary state, because in the ordinary state, you can't see the benefit nor the cost very well. This is why getting the mind fit for work, or getting it into that wholesome state and completely uh, out of the unwholesome. You see, if the mind is in, in an unwholesome state and we watch the media, then we can get the benefit because it's feeding my uh, bad feelings. But if I'm completely okay, if I'm absolutely in a really good mood and I watch that uh, um, uh, that news broadcast, I can say, wait a minute, those people try to actually pull me down, not lift me up. <laughs> that in fact, they're trying to make me afraid and I'm not afraid. And so even now we can see the cost that these things have and as we see the cost to them, we can recognize that the cost is higher than the benefit. And that's when you can find the mistake. Just what? How that you're doing with that with media, you can begin to see that in other areas also. There's a whole lot of the stuff that we humans do in this society. We do because we can see the gratification and we take the benefit, but we never calculate the cost in advance. And when we calculate we become more and more frugal in our mentality. 
Right. In other words, right. when a man wants a particular car that he's seen advertised or it's on the showroom floor, he wants it so bad that he's not counting up the cost. And so he winds up with that car, but he's also with that car got a disaster because he can't make the payments and he can't keep it up. You know, that's the kind of problem that many, many have. He would be much better off with a used Ford Fiat than he would be with a Ferrari. Sure. He can't fight, he can't handle the Ferrari. It's too much for him, but we want it, okay? So we're not doing the cost-benefit analysis that we need, and if we did a cost-benefit analysis, then we would buy automobiles and transportation based solely upon that cost-benefit analysis, and the whole automobile industry would fall apart. Sure. Who don't buy cars with cost-benefit analysis. Businesses do. But individuals buy it based upon greed and emotion. Right. So that's how cars are sold. Right. So by showing the benefit without ever showing uh, uh, the dangers, the cost. And so this basically now what we're what we're doing is that uh, by getting the mind in a wholesome state and investigating the wholesome, we begin now with in, because we've already removed what we thought was unwholesome completely, and we're dealing only with the wholesome. But now we continue to investigate the wholesome because we can find that even some of the wholesome things are not quite as wholesome as they could be if I would remove that too. Okay. This is, this is actually the progress uh, that one makes in meditation uh, from uh, the ordinary mind of hindrances into the mind of uh, hopes and thoughts, then into the first jhana, and from the first jhana, the, uh, the thoughts themselves become a lot of work to keep them wholesome and wholesome and wholesome, so we begin to put some gaps in the thoughts. Once we put the gaps in the thoughts and can see things more clearly, investigation more clearly, we recognize that even our feelings have been stirred up into something really, really positive. But that too, the highest degree of energy positive, uh, euphoria, etc., also is a bit of work. And so we can now yes. let that go down into now we can just sit in a, in a state of kind of pleasurable, easy going. And so this is basically one relaxation to the next, deeper relaxation, but the mind is still absolutely on top of it. Absolutely yes. the mind is working. Yes. It, is, yes. it is not uh, a dullness or a, a going to sleep kind of thing. It's um, uh, a, a, a brightness, a brilliance, a, a waking up. Uh, what in some places they call it perception of light. Right. I so I had this today, I believe. Or I'll let me confirm with you. So um I did my two thirty minute sets today, as well as one five minute set. Um and uh the only reason I cut they were both so nice, I totally would have continued. The only reason I even stopped was I had to go do something. <laughs> but <laughs> Stay in that state. This is the whole thing. Is that that, that actually happened with my second set? So with the first one, 
Um, so it went for 20 minutes at first, and it was pretty normal like the previous sets and many of the other sets I've done with Anapanasati, where, um, where it's just a lot of joy. It feels like it's some work, you know, to do the wholesome whole. It would feel like some work. But what happened this time is once I hit the last 10 minutes after those first 20, it began to just become like like the joy, just kind of the, the great joy, the kind of ecstasy, might you call it, you know, the first jhana, just kind of petered out. And it just went kind of blank. You know, my mind went kind of, but not quite blank. There were still some thoughts, but it was like a little, yeah. it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just little, little, you know how like there's a big, there's big waves during the first jhana. You think this, you think that, wholesome, wholesome. Then the second one comes, or at least this is my experience, and so correct me if, I mean, let me know if this is on track or not, but my experience was the thoughts went from kind of a big wave of, oh, this is so nice, just little waves of like a little one here, a little one there, a little one there of this small thought, this small one. It's all good. You know, it's all whatever, you know, and my my consciousness felt expanded in a sense, you know, and like it was just covering things and it had a stability to it. And it was like the, the thoughts were arising like little crests of very small waves and kind of a broader ocean consciousness. Okay. Um, what you're it's like, what you're saying and describing is exactly uh, what the Buddha is talking about, but it's you're using a different language for it. The language that the Buddha would use was putting spaces or gaps between the thoughts. And this is exactly what you're doing. You're saying that they they're little things. In fact, you're actually separating your hands. You're actually giving me visual imagery that you're practicing correctly. So now uh, what you can do in your next sitting is begin to notice those gaps and notice that there's empty spaces now between the wholesome thoughts. And in that gap, in that space, there is spaciousness. Why? Because much of the conversation, much of our talking to ourselves has to do with, the, uh, the, let us say, the job, the property, or the quality of the mind that we call perception, which is basically, um, let's think of it like this. In any business that has uh, inventory that they're selling, they have two ways of doing it. One is is that um, when new items come in in inventory, they put it down and they notice it's there. And when they sell it, they pick it up and they sell it and it's gone. And they'll, they will notice that it's, there's more of them is not there. And so they'll buy some more of them. This only works in a very tiny little business. In fact, the whole point about computers in business in the beginning was keeping inventory. And that's exactly, in fact, what happens when someone goes to the checkout at Walmart. Okay. 
So now that you when you walk out of Walmart, you walk out of two things. You walk out with the goods, and you walk out with the receipt. The receipt took a whole lot of processing to get that receipt. The goods were just already there. Okay. We do that same kind of process in the mind, in the fact that we get things, we get the sensory input, we get it from uh, our uh, consciousness. We have sound consciousness, uh, we have sight consciousness, we have bodily touch consciousness, whatever like that. But then we want to keep track of this stuff. We want to keep a record of it. We want to make an inventory, and so now we perceive all of that input. Well, when we begin to put um, gaps between the thoughts, that means we're not spending so much of our nine-moment time in perception, and we're spending it more and more in consciousness in the sense of just taking in input. And this is a major teaching of the Buddha about Pratita Samapada and the distinction between Vinya and uh, 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 Sanya are the Pali words for it. Our perception are the spinning of our wheels that, that give us um, an internal understanding about what's happening. And when we can begin to put gaps in the thoughts, that means that we're not making those so many connections and we're just allowing consciousness to come in as a stream. So normally what we do is we get a little bit of piece of information in from the consciousness, maybe a glimpse in the eye or maybe a sentence somebody said, and then we spend all of our time thinking and getting in and figuring it out and then we come up with a solution. And while we're doing all of that, we're not taking any more input. But if we are taking input and then don't do much processing, we take some more input very quickly. And when we're not doing any processing at all, now we're just taking on input. And that's when things begin to get really flooded. That's when things become really profound. That's when, in fact, the emotions of the, of the rapture become almost overwhelming. It's because we're not processing any of it. We're just receiving it. I've had that happen to me. That was how my psychosis felt. Because it was just a huge flood of God knows what. <laughs> you know. <laughs> because you don't, because it's coming in so fast that you don't process it. Exactly. Yep, yep. And I saw, like, I would see, like, a twitch in someone's eye, and it would have significant meaning. And then there would be another twitch immediately after that would have significant meaning. The way someone would move their body, significant meaning. You know, that was the psychosis experience. And it was like just a blew open, a big, like all the doors to my perception were just blown open for like three months straight. You know, and it was just all this stuff coming in all the time, you know, and yeah, it was crazy. But, <laughs> but I can still have like, much more controlled, you know, versions of that in a mi minor scale. So this actually brings me to my second sit today, which I believe there is some similarity to this, but not quite, it's like not psychosis, obviously, but there was some sim similarity to what you were discussing. So 
Um, so I had my second sit shortly before I called you, actually, about an hour before. Um, and I went for, and it was similar in that the first 20 minutes uh, were kind, even the first 15, I would say, not 20, were kind of going into that first jhana state. And then it was the equanimity. And the equanimity went on for a while until I finished the, the set. And I got up, you know, and I just felt kind of a supreme, you know, confidence and just, you know, a sense of grounded joy, you know, not like bound, but grounded, quiet joy, you know. And I, I walked my dog and I took a cigar, you know, and we went for our little walk. And I was listening to music, and each moment that came, I was taking long breaths as I was doing this, you know, just doing the long breaths, the cigar, the music, you know, walking the dog, you know, it's a very nice walk, <laughs> and <laughs> as I'm sure you can imagine. And, um, and I would notice when I would focus on the breath, you know, and I've had this before, this, I've had this happen to me before, and sometimes it would show up in my sitting practice as well uh, with Anapanasati, but I was noticing it on this walk. And it was like each breath felt like it was cut into multiple sections within the breath, not like beginning, middle, end. There were no titles affixed to them, but it was like there was kind of, uh, the breath was much bigger than it really was, kind of a feeling, if you know what I mean, you know. Or another way of saying it is, is that in the ordinary mind, the breath is, we're not watching it, we're not looking at it. When we begin to notice it, it, it lengthens out. But as you're paying attention to it closely, basically what that means now is that more and more mind moments have been in consciousness, and fewer and fewer mind moments are spent in perception. And because of that, we are actually able to see things in a much better way than if we just take a snippet and write an essay and take another snippet and write another essay and, and take another snippet and write another essay. Actually, now, we're just taking more and more snippets. We're actually beginning to look because we're not doing so much thinking about it. This is, this is the stuff that actually happens in the gap between the thoughts. That in fact, there's more than one kind of thought. One of the kind of thoughts would be a verbal thought, but another kind of thought would be an observational thought in the sense that you can actually just experience that in-breath Mind moment after mind moment without having to tell yourself anything about it. You just experience it directly, and that's the mind moment. It's a different kind of thinking. It's non-verbal thinking. And we have a lot of that, but most people don't know it because they're spending their time with so much um, uh, verbal thinking. That, in fact, it's because they're spending so much time in verbal thinking that they're not paying attention and having the mind moments that should be associated with the feeling. And so they'll have one mind moment of feeling, even if it's a really bad feeling. And then they'll have a whole bunch of mind moments about what they can do about that bad feeling. And then they'll have right. another mind moment of bad feeling. And then they'll have a whole bunch of more uh, thoughts about how they can manage that bad feeling. Where the real absolute best thing to do is to get the mind wholesome so that we can begin to observe that feeling 
in a way of learning to control it, paying attention to it, see if we can move it around. So we begin to spend more and more mind moments actually working with that feeling and fewer and fewer mind moments thinking about it. And so this is actually what you're doing. Congratulations. I'm just putting it into a context or into uh, a, a conceptual understanding. But Thank this you. is actually what we do, is, is that the more we pay attention to what's going on, the fewer thought moments we have that we're spending trying to figure it out and just letting it be. Right. And so it and we find that out that what is is a whole lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of stuff that's being right now. The cause and effect relationship is magnificent and it's fast. Right. And yeah, several several comments. So one is um, yeah, it, it's kind of I don't even know where to go from here, but I'll just try. So one thing I thought of um, er, earlier in what you were just saying. Um, was about the plant medicine experiences mm -hmm. and how a lot of what makes them so valuable you can't put into words at all. <laughs> you know, you just can't. It's it's way beyond words, you know. And so you, That's the important thing. This is emotional stuff, and emotional stuff really is beyond language. Except that, yes. no, it's not beyond language. It's its own language. Yes, yes, and and so like I had this long six-month period where I was going to ceremonies every month from October till March, and I took April off, and I'm going to go again in May, but, you know, it's not, but anyway, long story short, um, I, I went six months in a row, and I would find that when I would go, it would go deeper each time but in an unexpected direction, oftentimes, you know, something unexpected would arise. And I used to tell people a lot about my experience. Oh, this happened and this happened. And, but after a certain point, I stopped because I, I just couldn't even uh, explain it. It's just at such a deep level, you know, that there's no explanation. I can't write about it in my journal even. It's, it's just going on there, you know, and I, I feel it's similar, you know, with some of the sitting stuff, you know, where, you know, you know, like this thing about the moments expanding, you know, into, with these mind observations. I'm very glad to hear that there are words that can help express this because I've never really expressed it, you know, except the way that I just did, which, you know, is not not it's just my own invented language there you know so it is really interesting how a lot of this healing work you know in these different modalities you know just just like affects us at these levels that we're not even aware of you know we don't even have language for it's it's an in, incomplete or if you put it in language it has uh it's missing something for instance yes. you can say take take a long deep in breath and then a long, deep, relaxed out breath. And people hear that and they get something out of it. But demonstrating that has much more profound impact when I do this. And that has much more of an impact 
than uh, saying take a long, deep breath, right? You, you have to show them. Uh, that's what the problem with language. The problem with language is that it's almost always secondary and it's always conceptual. And uh, emotional language generally has no words to it. It's a feeling. We feel sadness. We feel anger. But the word sadness right. and the word anger doesn't do justice to how we feel. Right. And I feel like that's part of the frustration of the search for knowledge. It's because we know, you know, that there's part of our knowledge that isn't quite complete. There's some dukkha there, just in the whole structure of knowledge itself. And so we try, like, there are podcasts and books and stuff that I listen to, read, whatever, that will be on some of these topics, you know, of, you know, you know, spirituality or meditation, plant medicine, whatever. And the hope is not that the whole book will be useful to me, but that, because I, I, that's a lost cause. Of course, the whole book isn't going to be useful to me. But that I'll find some little snippet, or maybe several snippets, within that book that I can take away okay. and, and remember and can add to my knowledge. You know, that's the hope, is I can find some snippets in there, you know, okay. that I'll remember. And well, uh, let me answer it, uh, yeah. that statement this way, and that is, is that... Uh, there is a sutta. It's it's uh, um, it's the Simba sutta. Simba is a kind of tree that is here in Asia. But in fact, I've got Simba trees here in the yard. I didn't know what they were, but in the Thai language, it's the Sim, the Sim tree, which is the Simba. So um, the Buddha was walking with a group of monks through a Simba forest at the time of year when the leaves were falling off. And so the, 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 it was a kind of golden yellowish paradise. And he picked up a handful of these leaves off the floor of the forest and he held them up and said, which is greater, monks, the number of leaves I have in my head or the number of leaves here in the forest? Now, the Buddha made several analogies like that. He, uh, one analogy also said is, imagine a great big vast ocean. And now imagine that that ocean had it completely evaporated so that there's only a few drops left of it. Which is greater, these few drops or the entire vast ocean? But it's the same analogy or the same question is, which is better, bigger, this handful of leaves or this whole forest? full of uh, uh, fallen leaves on the floor. And naturally, the monks are going to say, oh, the monks in your hands are smaller. And in this sutra, the Buddha says, the amount of stuff that I teach is like this handful of leaves. And the amount of knowledge that I have about all kinds of things is like this forest. Now, what he was talking about there is actually several points. One of them is, is that uh, the handful of leaves, actually there's, there's books by that, that type, great big books, a book that will have how many pages, hundreds of pages, each one of them a leaf, and the Buddha says he only has a handful of leaves, a handful of teachings. okay, now this is an important point because um, the handful of leaves 
actually means that we only need this much. We don't need every little snippet off of every leaf in the forest. We only need this group of things. And once we have that and are able to put it into practice and live our lives according to this handful of leaves, then all the rest of that stuff becomes irrelevant. And because it's irrelevant more so, that means that now my thirst for knowledge has been quenched because I've gotten what I needed. Got everything that you need. Therefore, um, this is actually uh, the word ignorance or ajiva or not knowing is basically in several key places within the teachings of the Buddha. There it is in the Second Noble Truth. That in fact, the teacher Samapada is founded upon ignorance. With ignorance, we build up our past. But it's also known as the fetter, and it's the highest fetter. And that highest fetter of ignorance is the discernment to know which knowledge is valuable, wholesome, and important and worth keeping. And all the rest of the stuff is really not important. And it's okay to be ignorant of it, that we don't know. All we need to know is that we don't know, and that's okay. Because most of us go around saying, uh, I don't know, and that's a panic. Because I don't know, and I'm supposed to know. Well, now that we've gotten the Dhamma, what that means is is that we're not going to know everything. There's going to be a whole lot of stuff that we're not sure about. And in fact, getting into that not sure state is the easy middle path. Because the people at this extreme are absolutely adamant that this extreme is where it should be. And the people at this extreme is absolutely adamant that this is the right way. And here I am in the middle. And I don't know whether they're right or they're right. All I know is I feel good and I don't need to go to either one of the extremes to find out. And so this is what ultimately ignorance is all about, is going into a state of happily not knowing. How can I be happy without knowing? It's because I already know what I need to know. Right. And guess what? The future, I don't need to know to be happy right now. Right. Isn't that marvelous? Just think about that. We don't need to know anything (laughs) to be happy right now. Yeah. We don't need to know what the stock market is going to do. We don't need to know what the bank account is going to do. We don't need to know anything. We just know that we can be happy right now. And everything else just goes into that box of not sure. (laughs) Yeah. This is, in fact, what is right, noble view. Right noble view is to keep investigating, keep looking, keep noticing, and stop coming to conclusions thinking that we know. Hmm. Just keep watching, just keep looking, just keep that with that uh, viewpoint. Not sure. Not sure. Just keep looking. And would you consider not sure a wholesome thought? Yes, absolutely. 
because it's a, a, it's exact opposite is holy shit or oh my god okay that's a different kind of not knowing but here just not sure it's got that not attitude sure, it. and it's okay yep that's okay not sure, it's okay yep because I've got what I do need to know. I am sure that I've got the full noble path. I am sure that I've got uh, this next breath. That I can do. Whether or not Trump is going to make it back into office, who knows what's going to happen. Or whatever I'm going to have for dinner tonight, who knows? <laughs> who knows? Exactly. <laughs> it's fine either way. There is a Moulin Nasruddin story about that. I, I ran across Moulin Nasruddin when I was living in India, and Moulin Nasruddin is kind of like a little Islamic joke book. And it is all about this Moulin named Nasruddin, and there's a lot of stories in there that's quite brilliant. And one of the times Nasruddin was walking out of his store and going over to wherever he always goes to and uh, his friend the cop stopped him just to be chatting and all of that and he says uh, to Moulin Estrogen, where are you going? He says, I don't know. And the cop says, what do you mean you don't know? I see you specifically heading over there to the post office. And the, and the Moulin says, well, maybe. And then the cop gets pissed off and he grabs him by the arm and says, come on with me. We're going to go to the police station and have a conversation. And Master Dean said, see, I told you. I didn't know where I was going. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's some Anicca, a lot of Anicca there. A little bit of Anicca, too. So this is how we can come to understand it. We don't know what's going on, but we can handle it just fine. And in fact, often that will give us very pleasant surprises because we think we know what's going to go on. And then if it happens, big deal. But if we're in the position, hey, I don't know, and it doesn't matter, and it happens, wow, this is marvelous. (laughs) Uh, Sure, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. So... Um, so, so question that I don't I, know because you have been wrapped up in the I need to know I need to know I need to structure my time in finding knowledge and the more I know right. the better snippets and all of that kind of, guess what you don't need any snippets now you need, you need to enjoy what you have right and I don't need to do anything you don't you need know, to like do I, I, I don't need to, and this was another big part of my another big realization I had today is so yesterday was the hell day, you know, like yesterday I didn't, med- I didn't meditate, I just spent time just playing on my phone and some video games, you know, this and, you know, this and that, and, and, and I just felt the whole day that it was an empty day, you know, the, the day was just a day of emptiness, pure emptiness, you know, which is not a bad thing, you know, either, you know, um, and then today, I, I I thought to myself, you know, a lot of my activities yesterday, you know, um, were induced in part by guilt at not being do, not doing productive things, you know, and I'd get wrapped up in this guilt cycle of, oh, I need to be doing something productive. I need to be 
writing a short story, or I need to be working out, or I need to be meditating, or I need to do this and that. And then the, you, the, the, the end... Our whole society is built on guilt. Yes. This, yes. We live in a guilt society, and that guilt is induced through uh, critical thinking. Yes. And, and then what happens I is I guilt. then rebel. I rebel against the guilt by continuing to play my stupid video game or read my stupid article or <laughs> just do idiotic things <laughs> as a way of rebelling. And then I thought to myself, well, you know what? Today I thought I don't need to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay. If, if I do them, great. If I don't do them, that's great. You know, it's all fine. And then I ended up doing productive things anyway because I just wanted to do them. Yeah. Right. That's how we learn to live our life. Congratulations. You're beginning to make the move. I'm really pleased with you, Robert. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully it'll continue. Yes, this is the whole uh, the whole show is is that uh, normally we feel guilty because that's our culture. And so we rebel against that guilt. That yes. in fact, this is what Rebel Without a Cause and Easy Rider and all those kind of movies are about, is, is that that rebellion is within us and what we're rebelling against, all the orders that we're not following anyway. Right. And because we're not following them, we feel guilty. And so really, it's not the authority that we're rebelling against, it's we're rebelling against our feeling of guilt. Right. But when we begin to examine that guilt and look at it very particularly and take a few deep breaths, we can recognize, hey, that guilt can just look, go away. That I brought that guilt on because I thought of some work that I didn't want to do. And now I'm punishing myself for not doing what I told myself to do. And now I rebel against that and say, darn right, I'm not going to do that. And so now we're caught back in that parent-child dialogue that Eric Byrne is so famous in talking about. And it does have guilt, remorse, uh, a rebellion built into it. Because that's how the child responds to the critical parent. But if we can change that dialogue inside from critical and rebellion and guilt into nurturing and mutual support and benefit, that individual is going to have uh, a unification of mind that he doesn't have when we have these two thoughts in us. You go do that. I don't want to do it. You go do that. But fuck you. You go do that. Oh, please don't make me do that. Oh, you've got to go do that. Okay, I'll sleep up. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> you, you hear that whole dialogue inside. All right. right and that's right. from being uh, unified. So we need to find a way of putting a stop to those unwholesome dialogues and start having nurturing thoughts. Everything's okay. I don't care whether you do it or not. It's all right. So long as you do what you do happily, it's okay. People wind up being just as productive and sometimes even more so, and now they're happily doing it rather than doing it from rebellion. If you really want to get the answer to a math question, you'll get the answer to it. If you're trying to get the answer to the math question because you have to get it done, it'll take you longer. Yep, totally. 
totally. And just stopping and pausing, you can kind of just unravel that little knot there. It's like a little knot ties up, you know, of this knot of you ought to second guessing, you know. Yeah, you ought to second guessing all of this, you know, you must do this, must do that. And you just stop and say, I don't have to do anything. You know, it's fine. It's okay. Whatever happens, it's fine. And it's like, well, then there's nothing better to do, so I might as well do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not because I have to do it, but just there's nothing better to do. You know, it's a very different tone. You know, it's a very different approach, even though it's the same. Well, it's not even the same result. It's a different result, you know, because in one case, you're rushing through it. The other case, you're taking your time. You know, you're just doing it more naturally. It's even right. the result is a little different. If we do something that we don't want to do, we want to get it over with, so we'll often rush through it. Yep. yep. Or, if we really enjoy it, then we can savor it and take our time with it. Sure. An example of that is if we're eating food that's not very tasty, we'll just swallow it kind of whole just to get it down. But if something tastes really, really good, then we keep it in the mouth and we roll it over and we savor it. And that's a better way to eat anyway, is to eat things thoroughly, chew them thoroughly, because we're savoring them. And so this is how we begin to live life, is we can begin to savor it. Sure, totally. So... A couple of comments. It's about midnight, so I should probably turn in um, where I am. Oh, oh, yeah, let's go ahead and finish this call up. Um, but, so a few comments. One is, this was a very nice call, um, because I feel like I've been doing homework for a while now, and I got to show you all my homework. <laughs> you know, in the, in the Really, in the really, past, yes, I can tell that this is kind of a transformational call for you, that you're actually here... Um, uh, in a way, bragging on a success, and I'm here bragging with you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Really appreciate all of your help. And it's been cool because, you know, the past several calls, I've just been throwing question after question, doubt after doubt at you, you know, and, and now you see why. I've been slowly building... You know, There's nothing new or different about you. Every one of the students goes through this, and every one of them thinks yeah. that they're unique. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know. I guess I'm super mundane then. <laughs> uh, from yeah. time to time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so. From time to so. time, yes. We're, you know, sometimes we're good to go, sometimes we're not. Sometimes we feel like a nut, sometimes we don't. There's sure, nothing sure. in anything, anywhere. Everything is temporary. Sure, you're super mundane sometimes, and sometimes you're not. That's okay. Sure. Wait, 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 sure. Pay attention. <laughs> sure. So here's a question. Um, so one question, then one other comment, slash concern, yeah, comment. So here's the question. One is, so for my marching orders with the practice, so it's notice the, the spaces between the thoughts mm-hmm. and don't label them per se. Just 
put your give them your mind attention, like give them your mental, just kind of go into them. Right? See the see the gaps and see what's there. See that in fact not all thoughts are verbal thoughts. Some thoughts are feeling thoughts. Some thoughts are noticing thoughts. Some thoughts are observational thoughts. Sure. And should I should I note them? When I notice that, or how should I react to those? Notice it, right, but uh, let, us, let us stay with the word of noticing in the sense of observing or seeing, rather than noting in the sense of taking note or writing it down or jotting down notes. There's a sure. distinction. So, one is actually just, yeah. the other one is making a big deal out of it. Sure. And that's what the, the Mahasi system people do. We're talking about just taking note of stuff, and they take it as a big deal that we've got to really take note of this thing. And while they're doing that, they miss a whole lot of other stuff. No, note all of it. Note quickly, note quickly, because things are moving a lot. That's the way of noting. Not noting like it's a big deal, and we got to take a note. Oh, I had an insight at 10 o'clock that's on this particular day of the week, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that because I had this wonderful insight, right? That's not the right noting that we're doing. The right noting, aha, aha, oh, yeah, aha, I got that too. Okay, that's the way to note. There's one after another, after another, after another. One by one as these things occur. But as you're noting, you will also note that as this arises, this moment passes away. And when this moment arises, this moment passes away. So you begin to see not that things are arising, but things arise and pass away moment by moment by moment. As soon as you pay attention to this, what you used to be paying attention to a nine moment before is now fading out, withering away. And so this is the beginning to the way to look is not just the arising of the nature, but also the falling away and the dying off of it too. And so that's the second piece of advice is beginning to see those gaps in there is the first thing. The gaps between the verbal thoughts so that you can see that there's other kind of thinking going on, including uh, mind moment subconsciousness. And then we spend far too many mind moments in perception and not enough moments in consciousness. So as we begin to put thoughts and uh, gaps in those thoughts, we begin to take in actually more input. So that's one point. The other one is uh, with these gaps, we can note uh, that things pass away, arise and pass away, arising and passing away. Things just glitter away. Now that's better, in fact, is the only way to do it. That is when all of the thoughts are wholesome. When the thoughts are wholesome, because now the arising and passing away is also wholesome. But if there's hindrances in the mind, then the arising and then the passing away will take us into dark nights. <laughs> and so this is why it's important to start off this practice of noting of the arising and the passing away with only wholesome thoughts. Okay. It's arising and passing, and you say it's okay, it's fine, it's this is good, you know, this is great, and then with the and then notice the gaps between the thoughts and just kind of mm -hmm. just go into them, just 
notice them. Exactly. Or whatever else comes up. All right. And, and what about the breath? Should I continue to, to focus on continue the breath? Long, slow, deep breathing. With every long, slow, deep in-breath, you can notice the gaps in the thoughts. And with every long, slow, deep out-breath, you can notice the gaps in the thoughts. Okay, so in fact, you could say that, hey, wait a minute, you're giving me a whole lot to do. And I say, yeah, but your mind is sharp enough to start doing all of this stuff. Now. Sure. Sure. It is a lot to do, but, you know, we have a lot of time to talk, so we'll revisit. And, Absolutely. you know, it might, it might take a while to move past this particular stage, but we'll, we'll continue working on it. So. Well, this has been a delightful conversation, Robert. I've really enjoyed it, and I'm really glad to see you're getting some success, and I see you're smiling and all of that kind of stuff. So all the body language is congruent and everything. So congratulations. Likewise. Thank you very much. Keep up the good play. I really appreciate it. You've got the toy to play with now. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. And one uh, comment. So... Uh, tomorrow, so my friend Spencer and I are working through the Tibetan book of living and dying. Mm-hmm. So we, so we wanted to discuss, you know, several passages with you. I, I, we, we were discussing, you and I were discussing a while back, the part about the, the dice, you know, in the incarnation, um, being rebirth versus reincarnation. Remember this discussion we were having? Um, yes. so to, so to discuss some of that. And there's some other stuff, too, that'll come up. But I thought that would be interesting for Spencer and and also for me. So, okay, great. So we'll call you at right when you start up tomorrow. So, all right. Sounds good. Thank you very much, my friend. Go see you. Okay, bye-bye. Take care.